Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. Hey, this is Aaron Williams. I want to thank you for checking out this special podcast of our Homebrewing 101 extended segment. Hope you enjoy it. And we're going to do some cool things like this in the future. If there's a topic or a company or something that you want highlighted, go ahead and shoot me an email at uh, Aaron at BeerGuysRadio.com. Enjoy the show and happy homebrewing. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys, or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support, and cheers. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Want some advice? Well, yeah. But here's all you need to know. Classes, nothing before 11. Beer, it's your best friend. You drink a lot of it. Women, you're freshmen, so it's pretty much out of the question. Now, back to the Beer Guys radio show. Oh, yeah. Beer Guys radio. That's us. I'm, I'm just getting, I'm getting with, it, with, uh, with Outcast. That's what I do. No. You getting funky over there? I am just getting funky like a monkey, as uh, the great... Late Dusty Rhodes used to what say. What are you doing to us? Aaron? I have no idea. Hey, we're listening. We're enjoying see, some homebrew here. It's exciting. So see when Marquise is out, and yeah. it just I, I I hope Marquise doesn't watch this and and realizes how how important he is to keeping your act together. You're right. He's going to actually so, ask for more money, and we, we can't get have you, that. We more get beer. you doubled down on duties, and things just go crazy. I get a little silly, exactly. Yes. Hey, we're the Beer Guys Radio Show, by yes. the way. Just FYI, beerguysradio.com. Uh, coming up, we've got Tim's Whale of the Weekend. It's a big one. And plus, we'll have some events that you need to know going into the weekend. But first, Tim, you were so excited about this about this show, I know. So this let's is, get into it's, it. It's one of, one of the things I love to do. Yep. We're talking homebrew. That's right. Now, more specifically, we are talking about how to begin homebrewing. That's an so important we, thing to do. We did things a little backwards. So we had a show a little while ago talking about adva- advancing your homebrew mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of what to do after that first batch. Well, uh, this week we're going to start with... If you've never brewed before, what you need to do to make that happen. Yes. So before you get to water chemistry, this is what you need to start doing, right? right? That's right. And we've got uh, Jim Walker and Nate Watkins here to help us out. Tell us about that. So, yes. And uh, 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 Jim, Nate, again, thanks for joining us, guys. We're going to get this rolling. And uh, Nate, we're drinking your barley wine. Can you tell us quickly about this beer? Yeah, it's a. Uh, this is a two and a half year old barley wine. This is our fifth iteration of giving this one a go. Brewed it with John Near from Southern Sky, way long time ago. First time back in uh, January 2010, and uh, so th- we keep doing this every year, and it's an old tradition. It is mostly an English style barley wine with 12 percent rye. Uh, this is one of the more bitter versions that we've done, and we change it up a little bit every year. It's a great beer, very smooth. I love. Uh... Like we do, I said earlier when we were on break, English barley wines, I definitely, mm-hmm. is my preference for the barley wine style. So, 
Now, Jim, when you and I were talking about this show and getting things set up, you know, one thing you mentioned is kind of why you would want to homebrew. So yeah. for someone looking at it, you know, I've talked to friends and they've said, but there's so many people out there brewing great beers. Why do I want to, you know, spend my time doing that? So for someone considering the hobby, why would you want to start homebrewing? Yeah, well, it's a great question. I had that thought initially myself and then I saw the light. I mean, you know, it's a hobby. The great thing is you can do whatever you want to in it. And it's fun. It's creative. This is perfect intersection between kind of science and art. If mm-hmm. you're into things culinary, you can make exactly what you want when you homebrew. And one of the secrets is, and this is kind of heresy to some people, but you can make really excellent beers when you homebrew. In fact, you can make better beers in some ways than the commercial beers that you get. Sure. Because you have so much more latitude with ingredients. You can get ingredients in small quantities that big brewers have a hard time getting in big quantities. The uh, goza that you made had a lot of stuff done to it. I think people have a hard time doing commercially. So you can make excellent uh, products, and it's just fantastic to share with your friends. very social, and at the end of it, you get beer. And uh, it's a great thing to have beer. And, it is. And people like <laughs> it your beer. It sounds like a winning, a winning hobby to me there. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, one of the things, I just started homebrewing this year with my dad. Uh, he retired, and my mom said that he needed a hobby. So, I was more than happy to, to help him out with that. Uh, what I was really fascinated with was, was uh, some of the things to get started. It's simple at first, but then it also can get kind of complicated if you're not careful. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things you need to get started with homebrewing. I just want to interject real quick. What we're going to be talking about today, Aaron, is doing a typical five-gallon batch of an extract brew. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of parameters that can go around that, but what we're going to talk about today and the steps we're going to give you is assuming you're doing what... Uh, most people consider a standard size batch. Yeah, of and extract. five gallons will get you about two cases of beer. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So, there yeah. So, 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 getting started. What What am I supposed to do if I'm starting from scratch? Well, when I started from scratch, uh, way back in 2008, when did we did our first homebrew at all? Just get a true brew kit. Comes with a couple of buckets. It comes with all the basic equipment that you need. The only other thing you need to get started is a five to eight gallon pot. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Um, you can get beer kits that sell you all the ingredients that you need. And once you've gotten one or two under your belt, you can go ahead and branch out and start making your own beer kits. Yeah. So for about 30 or 40 bucks, you can get a box and it basically gives you all the ingredients that you need to brew a five gallon batch of beer. That's what I've, I've noticed. Anyway, That's for the so. ingredients. But I think the true brewer equipment, he's talking, but he's talking about, about the pail equipment, and equipment the, yeah. So Nate, just kind of a breakdown for those that aren't familiar with, with true brew, we're assuming people have just maybe just had a passing thought, I'd like to brew beer. So kind of what would they get in that true brew equipment and what would they want to look for outside of that? Well, in that equipment box, you get uh, two food-grade buckets uh, that you can use to ferment and bottle in. You've got all the hoses and cappers, bottle caps, all the other basic stuff that you need to brew a couple of batches except for the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And after that, you'll need some of the expendable stuff, the bottle caps and all that. And you'll need to get ingredients, so on and so forth. Those kits cost about seventy-five bucks. That's probably cheaper than buying those ingredients or buying those equipment items on their own. And so I think that's a great place to start. And I still use the same equipment that I got from that to this day. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's all food grade stuff. And if you take care of it, it'll last a long time. And uh, some places will even give you a little bit of a discount. It depends on uh, you know if you're going to sign up. Or not. So uh, my dad and I, of course, early in the year, we went to Hop City. We took their uh, Homebrewing 101 course, and they offered us a discount at the end. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a good way to kind of settle into things, too, if you're not if you're not uh, a little bit intimidated by brewing. Yeah, so that's going to give you, you'll have, like I said, your pot, kettle. You'll have, uh, you'll need a spoon to store, stir your wort, 
why you know while it's boiling and that uh, fermenters you'll need a heat source need a, a burner you know something like that to, yeah. to heat that up with like a propane burner especially yes. outside you want to do it outside because you right. don't want to boil over that's going to make a huge mess if you do yeah it. you so. you know some people try to brew stovetop but it's uh, if you're doing a full five gallon batch that's going to be hard to do to get a to get a boil going yeah my mom put so. the nicks on that pretty quickly when we tried to do that so we had to go yeah. outside yeah and <laughs> so. then uh, water. Is something that I think a lot of people overlook. You need a good quality water source. Because, yeah, that's Aaron. I, I've known a lot of people that have kind of uh, fallen into that with their first batch. They run it through a garden hose. Yep. And they'll get that. Uh, why does know, it taste that, like Band-Aids? That's, that's yeah. why I, I quickly noticed so. that. And so I was glad Tim was there for my resource to figure out what I did wrong. So yeah. it's good. But yeah. when you're starting extract brewing, fortunately, you can just get two and a half gallons of uh, public spring water for really cheap. Do not get mm-hmm. distilled. Get spring water. Right. And you've got all your measurements done anyway. Because the distilled or the, or the RO is another popular one, the reverse osmosis. That actually is stripping things out of the water that you want in there for a healthy beer. Exactly. Right? You don't yeah. want to start there. You need those minerals and those types of things for it to, yeah. to really be good. So, so yeah, oh, question two uh, that some people might have. What's a good style to start off with? You know, you obviously don't want one of these barley wines. That's going to be a big beer, and you don't want to mess that up. But for your first, second batch of beer, what should you be brewing? Yeah, what, what I've told people in the past is pretty much anything but a lager. And, you know, my first step is, look— what do you want to make? It's your hobby, right? And so what kind of beer do you really like? What do you want to go for? There's no reason you can't make a stout to start with. There's no reason that you can't make a saison to start with. It, it really um, is wide open to you. A lager requires a lower temperature fermentation, and you have to keep that at a lower temperature. You have to have temperature control fermentation. So that's not really practical in your first brew. But um, usually I found when people are getting into the hobby, they're doing it because they really have a particular style of beer they like. And I say go right. for that style. Mm-hmm. You know, what I recommend a lot is the Saison yeah. because it's so forgiving on the temperatures yeah, that you, you have. So exactly. it's, it's something that if you don't have a style that you're just I love, because like you said, I've got I've got a buddy that started recently, and he's a IPA Pale Ale guy, and that's all he wants to brew. Cause yep. he's, and, and I've joked with him, like, you're, that's boring, man. Get creative. He's like, but I like drinking this. Exactly. Beer. And that's, you know, that's, that's what it's about there. So. Well, so let's say you've gathered up all your equipment. You've got your recipe that you want to brew. And you're getting started, so brew day. So uh, when we're starting the brew day, kind of what's the process going to be there, and and you know what uh, what should we do with that? Yeah, well, for me, the number one thing is you get organized before you start brewing. I mean, that's really critical because the last thing you want to be doing is be in the middle of your brew and and realize that you don't have something you need or that something's not clean that you need. Uh, some of this is done um, kind of on a timed basis, and so you need to have everything ready. You know, the good news, I think, for people who are starting out is that uh, making beer is not really all that hard. And beer actually wants to make itself. So, um, you know, even if you don't do something quite right that we talk about today, you're probably still going to get beer. Right. Everything's probably still going to be okay. Um, but if you kind of want to optimize it, you start out by sitting everything uh, where you're going to need it. You think through the process, kind of think through it start to finish. And then you launch your brew day. Um, Then, you know, you measure out your water and you get started. Excellent. Guys, we're going to take a quick break here. We are talking to uh, Jim and Nate about beginning homebrewing. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show, and we will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Scott from Burn Hickory Brewery in lovely Kennesaw, Georgia. You're listening to Beer Guys Radio. The Beer Guys are back right after this. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. 
So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beer guys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor. And you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beer guys. Or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support and cheers. Hey, this is Aaron once again. Hope you're enjoying this podcast special on Homebrewing 101, beerguysradio.com for much more information. And of course, you can support us on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash beerguys. Now, back to some more homebrewing talk. But we're talking homebrewing uh, this uh, show, and Jim Walker and Nate Watkins are kind enough to come on in. And during the break, we had a nice tasting. Of Jim's IPA, that was a lot of fun. Where he uh, gave yeah. us three different IPAs, uh, but blended with or the same. Everything was the same except for the yeast. And they had three different yeast strains, and it was quite a difference. They make a huge difference. They do. A good local example of that is uh, Three Taverns. Okay, with their they have a night on pints, uh, a night on ponts, yes, and a night in Brussels. And a night on ponts was an experiment where they did an American yeast in the beer, and it just. Gave you a whole totally different beer. And that Aponce is a great, it's fantastic a great beer. IPA. It's one of Absolutely. my favorite ones out there. So excellent. So now we uh, left the home brewing scene with kind of getting ready and I uh, guess what they call in the restaurant industry a mise en place. So getting everything ready for you to brew. Make sure you've got your inventory. You've got all the equipment. You've got all of the, the, the ingredients that you need. But there's also one other big step that you have to do, right? Which is... Which is cleaning. There we go. <laughs> and uh, so one of the things, if you read any of the beginning homebrew books, and there are a couple of excellent ones out there, they, they talk at great length about cleaning, uh, sanitizing, and sterilizing. And, you know, cleaning just means what you think it means. It means stuff's not dirty. Mm-hmm. And then sanitizing uh, means that you're going to use, at some point during the process, a sanitizing solution, be it star sand or something else. But you really don't have to worry much about that until after you've boiled and chilled down the liquid, which we call wort. Yeah. And uh, so at this point, you don't have to worry about that. You just have to make sure stuff's clean. And it's really not any harder than look at it. Is it dirty? If it is, wash it. Right. There you go. But it's like my house. It's yes. something that, you know, don't get lazy on that part. Right. You know, you want to clean. And like you said, after the boil and that is when it becomes more critical. Uh, but being in a good habit of cleaning and sanitizing as you go through is just going to make for... Uh, a better beer. That's exactly point right. Point blank. So. And, and you never really have to do what people call sterilize, which means to uh, put something in an autoclave or, you know, do it under pressure, get it up to 250 degrees, unless you're doing something really esoteric. And we're not doing that here because uh, we're doing beginning homebrewing. Yeah. So that's well, Pale Ale doesn't need that kind of stuff. We should be good to go. Right. Yeah. So. Excellent. Now, now, when you are brewing, um, you do follow a, a step of ingredients. And hopefully, you know, you've, if you've got a box, one of the, one of the, the ingredient kits... It'll tell you step-by-step exactly what to do. And it's pretty important to follow those directions, right? Exactly. No, it is. And and it's also important to know how to read the directions. I remember when I first uh, actually figured out how to read a beer recipe, it was like I was in the Matrix and I knew Kung Fu. <laughs> I could look at any beer recipe and I could say, wow, I can make this beer. It's fantastic. You know, one of the big things is the hop profile. I don't know if, if mm-hmm. you guys want to talk about that for a second. Yes. But, I mean, one of the issues is when you read a beer recipe, it says hops and it says 60 minutes or five minutes next to it. That means how long they're supposed to be in the boil. 
So you get it boiling, get your wort boiling, and then you throw in your 60-minute hops and you let it boil for 60 minutes. I think uh, that confused a it, lot. It confused it me. Totally confused me. It confused, me. Yeah. It confused yeah. everybody. Yeah. Starting, okay, this means boil, you know, the 60 minutes, 20 minutes means, you know, after 20 minutes. Exactly. Minutes. So, no, that's a little different with brewing beer. That's right. So you'll see some hops that say 60 minutes, some might say 20, some might say 5, and that just is how long they stay in the boil. So if you're boiling for an hour, you put the 60-minute hops in first. You wait till it starts boiling, and then you throw them in, and you leave them in for 60 minutes. And then you wait 40 minutes to put the 20-minute ones in. A little right. confusing, but easy to get a handle on. So now, Nate, why would you put hops in at a different time? Well, the ones that you put in at 60 minutes or anywhere close to the start of the boil, those are the ones that are going to give you the bitterness. And without getting too much into the science behind it, there are certain hops that are better at, at bittering hops, and there are, better hop, there are hops that are better at aroma hops. Mm-hmm. The closer to the end of the boil that you put the hops, the more flavor and then more aroma that you're going to get from those hops. It's basically the less time it has boiling, the less bitterness you're going to get, and the more flavor and aroma you're going to get. There are different techniques where you can tweak those additional outcomes, but those are more advanced brewing methods, and mm-hmm. you'll get there. Yeah. that's so, uh, You know, what Nate said there, they're, brewing beer, and Jim, you said this earlier too, brewing beer in its simplest form is pretty easy. There is a huge variety of things you can do creative in that. Just with hops, Nate, like you said, there's there's first ward hopping. There's dry hop additions. There's uh, hops, yeast, bio interactions in that so that they use there. So, But just getting a basic beer out is a pretty simple process. So. Oh, yeah, especially when you're doing extract beer. It's easy, and uh, it's fun, and you can still make a fine beer out of it. Uh, the process for just doing a basic extract beer is boiling sugar water, and adding hops, which are your seasonings, and then fermenting it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. You take uh, different malt extracts, you boil them together, and in this day and age, you get so many different malt extracts, you can probably use six different malt extracts in one just extract batch and make a totally different beer each time you have an endless number of combinations and then add your hops based on whatever schedule you're wanting to do, ferment with whatever yeast, and then you've got a beer. Yeah, that's and, it. And, you know, Jim, uh, you talked about this earlier, and, and I always say this too. A brewing is the ultimate form of science meets art. And there's so many different ingredients out there and so many combinations. There's an infinite number of combinations just in the water, malt, hops, uh, yeast variety. And then we're not even talking about different additions after that, you know, and those types of things. It, it's it's an absolute amazing thing that we can play with, and uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. It to is. Figure out, yeah. I mean, it's one of the great things about the whole American craft beer movement, which is just it's a very American thing to do. I mean, in Germany, they have the Reinheitsgebot that says you can't call it beer if it mm-hmm. has more than four ingredients. Here, you put whatever you want to in it and yeah. call it beer. And if you're a home brewer, you have a wider latitude, like I said, than even the commercial brewers. You can put anything in it you want to. You can try all kinds of experiments. It's just a blast. Yeah. I know this one guy that made a sun-dried tomato and basil says That guy's crazy. I don't know so, who that yeah. is. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know what? It's interesting, actually. A little bit of history here, too. Uh, you know, it's uh, back in 1978, of course, uh, Jimmy Carter was the one who actually opened up home brewing to everybody. So, you know, say what you will about Jimmy Carter as a president, but uh, he was the one who legalized home brewing back in 78 and really gave us uh, the the uh, the ability to do this home brew and really is emerged in the craft beer movement. So uh, yeah. so cheers to Jimmy Carter. He builds homes and he lets us home brew. And when so you think key. about it on the grand scheme of things, 38 
35, 38 years yeah. is not that long yeah. for, for where we've come with craft beer. Yeah, so. and it's been interesting. You know, I mean, back in the mid-90s when I first started getting into craft beer and working at a brew pub, all the taps that we had at the, at the place I was was all foreign. I mean, we only had about two or three different domestic taps of craft beer. That's reversed now. Yep. You've got, you know, 30 taps, 25, 27 of them are going to be domestic, and only a couple of them are going to be foreign foreign versions. Of exactly. That. Yeah. Yeah. We even talked when we talked to the guys from uh, – from Ireland, uh, from, oh, yeah, Galway from Galway Bay, Bay they yeah. mentioned, you know, that they, they're looking towards American brewers now for exactly. inspiration, where, yep. you know, it used to be European all around there was mm-hmm. the inspiration that uh, American American brewers are kind of trendsetting now. Yeah, we're trendy like that. Trendy. So we're the cool. next person that picks up one of those uh, extract kits, maybe the next person to influence the next brewery in Dublin. Very well that. could be, man. That's exactly Absolutely. right. Yeah, so, Absolutely. you know, it's funny that, yeah, a lot of the Europeans, of course, are, are, are kind of taking uh, taking American beers over there, of course, so we had our own uh, Will Avery from uh, Burn mm-hmm. Hickory uh, went over to uh, to Galway Bay, and uh, Stone just opened up their uh, their uh, pro- plant in uh, in Germany and those types of right. things. So, yeah. so yeah. So what we're going to do right now, by the way, is take a break uh, for the radio show, but to head to the podcast at beerguysradio.com, and we'll have more homebrewing talk coming up. So if you want to get really in-depth with homebrewing, stick with the podcast, and we'll go from there. But right now, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show, and we'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Jason Pellet, brewmaster at Orpheus Brewing. You're listening to Beer Guys Radio. Eat it, Scott. You couldn't do that. The Beer Guys are back right after this. It's Aaron and Tim, the Beer Guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock is always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy. They have 12 of them. Bottles, too. Not sure what to drink? All of their beer servers are Cicerone certified. And if you got someone who isn't a beer fan, not to worry. Truck and Tap carries wine, mixed drinks, and even handcrafted sodas. As for the truck part, well, that's when it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta-area food trucks daily, that way, you're getting a different menu every day. Check it out. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the Beer Guys sent you. Here on the Beer Guys Radio Show, we always encourage you to drink local. And, of course, shop local at your favorite bottle shop. But sometimes you want something different. A beer you've heard about online, or maybe you've got a bottle share to attend, but nothing special to bring, or you just want to check out something new. That's where Inside the Cellar comes in. They stock lots of craft beer from breweries that may not be available in your hometown. Shipping is almost free for every 12 you buy, and if you use our special promo code, you'll get 10% off of your order. Inside the Cellar also stocks wines and craft soda, too, and using Inside the Cellar helps us out. So head to BeerGuysRadio.com, click on the Sponsors link at the top of the page, and click the Inside the Cellar icon to shop, and enter our special promo code for 10% off, too. That's BeerGuysRadio.com. Click the Sponsors link and then go to Inside the Cellar. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to Patreon.com slash Beer Guys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys, or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. 
We thank you for your support and cheers. Hey, this is Aaron once again. Hope you're enjoying this podcast special on Homebrewing 101, BeerGuysRadio.com for much more information. And of course, you can support us on our Patreon page, which is Patreon.com slash BeerGuys. Now, back to some more Homebrewing Talk. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Guys, we're getting into the podcast extra. We didn't have enough time to cover everything on the air that we wanted to talk about, but we didn't want to cut this short. So if you're Mm. listening to the podcast, you get an extended version this time. We want to talk a little more about getting into home brewing. Yeah. We still need to cover actually brewing that first batch of beer and uh, getting that in bottles. So, yes. sorry, guys, we've talked about buying your equipment, getting that together, gathering your equipment up, cleaning, sanitizing, having good water and that. We're ready to start brewing. So on that brew day, once we've got everything together, clean and sanitized, what are we going to do? Well, I mean, one thing you're going to do is start to uh, heat up the water to the right temperature. You're going to put it in a pot. And, you know, in brewing, you use all these special terms. You just have to learn them, and they're not hard. We, you call a pot a kettle. Right. So, there I mean, you go. Uh, so you put your water in the kettle, and you heat it up, and you need a thermometer, if you think about it, to get it to the right temperature. So yep. you're going you're gonna to do that. That's going to be the step, you know, kind of the first step. Right, because uh, with extract, and this is something different with me doing all grain, uh, you you heat it to like we just want to heat it to boiling. We exactly. have a strike water when we do that, but exactly. with this you're heating it up. Uh, if you're using uh, steeping grains, yep. Which uh, so talking a little bit about steeping grains, we're going to heat it to 150, 155. Right. What's uh, Nate? What's the purpose in steeping grains in an extract batch? Well, uh, so I talked earlier a little bit about the fact that there are so many different kinds of extract that are out there. You could have amber, you could have brown, you can have so many different kinds. These specialty grains are dialing in that particular flavor, aroma, and color profile a little bit more. So if you want a particular nutty flavor, you may use a certain specialty grain, uh, brown malt. Uh, You could use... Uh, carapils, you could use so many different types of malts to dial that in that you may not be able to get from simple extract. You can get a lot of things from extract, but there are certain flavors that a specialty grain would either give you more of or give you some of that flavor in a better way than extract would be able to give you. Right. Okay. So because like you said, huge variety of extracts, but every single grain isn't made into an extract. So in these specialty grains, it's not and this is this is talking all grain, but it's not necessary to mash them and convert the sugars like you do with an extract, so you're steeping for the flavor profile or color, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So all right, so guys, we've got that. We've heated to heated to temperature. Uh, we're going to steep our grains, I guess, about 20 minutes typically for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from there, we get the steeping grains out of the way. What's uh, what's our next steps? So you want to pull those steeping grains out of the water. You do not squeeze the bag. They should be in a muslin bag just to keep the grains all contained. Do not squeeze the bag. Just kind of hold it over the pot for a little while. Let it drain out. Um, you don't even need to rinse it with water, at least not in this stage of the brewing process. And... Then do whatever you want to with it, toss it out. And no. why wouldn't you want to? I was just going to say, if you squeeze the grain, that means like the bitter tannins are coming out of it, right? You just That's don't want exactly to deal right. with that. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So after you uh, do that, um, again, you've got a, basically a pot of sugar water, for lack of a better term. What's next? What do we do now? Then you start heating it up to boiling, and that's when you pour in the extract once it's boiling. Because we don't even have our sugar water. Oh, that's just true. Yet, okay, Aaron. so that's so, right. Yeah. So we don't have the wort yet, right. or the, uh, the the extract or and those types of things. So 
You put that in, let it boil. But if you've got to also make sure that it's stirring and it's not necessarily going to be at the bottom, because anybody who's done any cooking knows that if you cook sugar at the bottom where it's heating, that's going to burn. You want to remove it from the heat. Either turn your flame off or move your kettle to the side. When you add your extract, because it's thick, it's a thick syrup or a powder, mm-hmm. and it'll sink down there to the bottom and, and burn on there. And you got to stir. Stir it good. Stir. Get it dissolved in there. So, And yeah. then once you get it incorporated, you put it back on the on the flame, on the mm-hmm. heat source, right? Yeah. That's when you need to have somebody, you know, like young and strong, just kind of keep stirring it so you don't have to do it. Just tell them what to do. That's that's the big thing. That's what you make your kid do. That's what my son does, exactly. He's 12, so I I get him involved in the brewing process to make him do all the heavy lifting because that's that's the kind of dad I am. Absolutely. (laughs) There you go. All right, guys, so we've got our extract in there. We've we've fully incorporated it, put it back on the heat. So we're going to heat this up to a boil. We've talked earlier about reaching your boil and kind of what you do there. So uh, let's say we've got our extracts in there, boiling. Now we're going to start adding some hops and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly so. right. So you're going to start boiling it, and uh, at the appropriate time, you're going to add the appropriate hops. And, of course, the boil does a couple of things. You know, One is it's going to reduce the volume of the water because it evaporates off. And so if you're going by a recipe, it's pretty much calibrated, um, or it should be, to be boiling off the right amount of water to get to the right gravity. And the gravity is just the amount of sugar that's, you know, and this is all 98% correct, right? I right. mean, it's correct yeah. enough for uh, our purposes here. Uh, the amount of sugar that's left in the water that's fermentable at the end of the day. Um, so you're going to boil this for a certain amount of time. You're going to add the hops according to the hop schedule. And, you know, one of the issues you've got to confront here is the concept of boil over um, because that's one of the worst things that could happen to you. If you're doing this on the stove, and one of the great things is, that, you know, and this is something fairly simple, but a lot of people don't even think about it, which is that you can scale any of these recipes. So if you get a recipe that's five gallons and you say, I've only got a pot that can hold enough to make two gallons, well, you can make two gallons. It's not a problem. Right. Uh, you can scale it however you want to um, with that. Now, the evaporation rate is going to be a little bit different given the size of the pot and the surface area, but it's going to be pretty close, Right. But one of the issues you can have is stuff can boil over, and it's very sticky. It's sugary, and if it gets on your stove or wherever else, it creates a big mess. And there are things you can do to prevent that. One is, you know, you don't have to actually do an, a, a massive rolling boil. You can do a, a somewhat lower boil. The other is you can buy products like no, Firm question Cap for you and other on that, stuff. Jim. Sure. I've, I've been told that uh, you do want a good rolling boil. You yeah. want to get it going that it's it's better for... You know, the concentration of the war, especially, you know, if your recipe is assuming that rolling boil, uh, your evaporation rate is going to be affected. Uh, It's I don't think it's as much of an issue with with extract and that, but like driving off DMS. Yeah. And that. So uh, there are different theories on that. Right. And it's the same thing as with anything in brewing. We're talking about very beginning home brewing. I mean, a lot of this is what I would call received wisdom, which is, you know, we don't personally know. We've not done these tests. We don't quite understand you have systems like the Pico Brew system that don't boil at all, right? Okay. And they don't really have issues with DMS. Gotcha. Um, I've done, you know, personally, I've done boils that are kind of low simmer, and I haven't had those issues. But you're absolutely correct. If you go out and look at some of the literature and some of the books, um, you want a full rolling boil. And quite frankly, I mean, that's what I normally do. I normally yeah. do a very full, very rolling boil, and that works for me. Um, but I, I started off doing, doing brew in a bag, right, which is mm-hmm. a different uh, concept than we have here, which is use all grain 
uh, but in a very small container. And I was doing it on my stove, and I simply wasn't able to boil very fully. And I made actually some great beers sure. doing uh, brewing a bag. Well, and that's something you know they they've said with the modern grains and all of that 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 the DMS is probably not as big of a concern. So it's something that it's a lot of times it's hard to break historical habits. It I guess. is. It so, is. Yeah. yeah. You know all right, guys. Right, before before we get forward, Go what's ahead. DMS? Uh, DMS is dimethyl sulfide. Yep. Yes. Okay. What is that? It is basically a an overtly kind of cooked corn flavor gotcha. that comes from a lot of the different grains. Typically comes from Pilsner malt more mm-hmm. than any other malt. But this is kind of outside the realm of what we're trying to do here. And these are definitely in the uh, more advanced forms of brewing. Sure. The, the point is that having a boil, a rolling boil, will concentrate your wort better. Okay. And it will boil yeah. off some of the more undesirable characteristics, especially if you are just using tap water. There may be some chlorine in there that uh, you may want to boil off. You definitely want a rolling boil for that um, because it's very volatile and it gets off re- really quickly. Um, but also, you need a roiling boil to be able to isomerize the hops yep. a little bit better, which is, again, another more scientific term that... As a beginning home brewer, you may not be as worried about because with what you're doing, you're still going to get the end result of what you're trying to get. But okay. if we're talking best practices to start with, get in the habit of doing that rolling boil, then you can learn later as you get into it deeper. As much as possible. So, yeah. You'll still yeah. be able to get what you need to do with a high simmer. Yeah. But a rolling boil is probably I can ideal. speak from experience that you can make a lot of mistakes and still up, end up with beer at the end. So, you know, it's... Uh, you In learn the end, to minimize John Palmer them. says, relax yeah. and have a home brew. That's it, man. That's exactly Absolutely. right. That's exactly right. So Great. so we've got that. We've got the rolling boil. We've added the hops. We talked about that earlier and those types of things. Uh, we're finished, right? Yeah. And okay. so when you're finished with a boil, everything is done. You've got all the ingredients. you got to cool it down. Mm-hmm. And, and you, at this exact point is when your cleaning and sanitizing becomes critical. So once the you, boil is done, yes. it becomes not sanitized. Exactly. And so everything that touches that wart or touches your mixture could become infected. And the last thing you need is wild yeast coming in and screwing up your product. Absolutely. Yeah. And if unless that's what you want. Well that's so, it. Yeah. But I mean for, for, <laughs> but for ideally for your first batch, ideally for so. first batch. You're not you're not getting cool ships out or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're you you want to basically sanitize it so only the yeast that you want in there mm-hmm. is the one that's going to actually work work uh, yeah. and ferment. That's so, right. Jim, for this uh, for this first batch these guys got, we're, we're ready to cool it down. Yep. What are a couple ways that we could look at doing that? Well, you've got a couple options, and I think the point that was just made is a really good one. I mean, people talk about the difficulty of making beer. What you're really trying to do right now is keep the beer from making itself, keeping the yeast from infecting it, and uh, wild yeast from the air because there's air all, you know, there's yeast all around us in the air. So you can do a couple of things to cool it down. One is you can take the pot and the kettle, and you can put it in an ice bath, in a sink, and you can kind of circulate the ice around it. Here's the reality. Um, You can do that, and quite frankly, if you're talking to somebody and you say, look, I know that you don't want to buy any equipment at all, Um, you don't want to deal with anything that's at all complicated, that's an option. A lot of people do that. It Mm -hmm. takes a long time Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, You know, you have a volume of water that's very hot, and cooling it down is hard that way. The other way, and there are several other ways, but the other way for a beginning home brewer is called an immersion chiller, which is a coil, and you run cold water through it or tap water through it, and it cools the uh, liquid called the wort down much quicker. 
um, you're trying to do a couple of things. One is you're trying to minimize the time that that sits there because it can get infected as it sits out. And you're also trying to uh, have have it go through a process called the cold break where things precipitate out of the word and drop to the bottom of the kettle. So you really want that to happen as quickly as possible. So a really good thing to have at this point is an immersion chiller if you're willing to to make that leap. And uh, when when you're doing extract, a lot of the times it's going to be done in your kitchen. And when you look at a typical immersion chiller, everybody thinks, oh, it has to be hooked up to a garden hose. But fortunately, even just for your kitchen sink, you've got that little aerator that's on the front. Yep. You can go and get a an adapter for that to go with the male and female parts and get a short little hose, couple feet, and you can have your immersion chiller right there in your sink. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to take it outside. You can do this in an apartment. You can do this on the 24th story condo, and you're good to go. So, so take over the kitchen until your wife tells you you can't anymore, right? Unless your that's wife it. tells you to do it so more. Get out that's of right. right. There you so. go. So, yeah, so we've cooled it down and those types of things. You're going to go ahead and transfer it after that to the fermenter, which is the bucket that we talked about earlier, the food-grade bucket, correct? So at this point, when you're doing an extract brew, typically what you're going to have is you're going to have something that's at twice the sugar strength than what you need. Typically, you're only doing this with two, three gallons yeah, of water. Okay. And it, when you're trying to make a five-gallon brew, you obviously need to add a little bit more water. Mm -hmm. That's where the pre-measured Publix... Uh, Kroger, whatever you want to go with, that's where their pre-measured the spring gallon water gallons yes. comes in handy. You, If what you're doing is you want five gallons, you do two gallons because that's your only capacity on your brew pot. You do two gallons in your boil, and then you've got three gallons of cold water to add afterwards. It's very easy. All you have to do is make sure it's well mixed. Mm -hmm. Now, Done. Nate, is that typical for an extract brewer? That is, uh, they call it partial boil, right? Yes. Is, is that pretty typical for most extract brews? Um, most of the extract brew kits that you get will actually call for a partial boil. Okay. Uh, and and that's just your, like you said, you're boiling a smaller volume than the full volume of the batch size, and then you top it off with water that, at this That's stage. essentially what you're doing. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. You're diluting the product, and then you're making the full five-gallon batch uh, from there. And, yeah. and you still make the same beer that you would be making if you did a five-gallon batch of the same method. Uh, the only difference is your version is a little bit more concentrated. Okay, gotcha. That's I didn't realize that was typical. I knew it was an option. Mm -hmm. I've heard people mention it, but uh, and it's also a very good way to cool things down because uh, you can true. keep your yeah. water yep. refrigerated and drops your temp quickly. Mm -hmm. Very cool. It's also yep. good too. So so yeah. So once you transfer to the fermenter, you've got to take a gravity reading, which means you got to take that little weird looking thermometer looking thing and. Uh, Figure out the how to work that, the hydrometer. Yes. That I've broken like three of them already, yeah. but that's all right. In two batches? Yeah, in two batches. I, I break everything. It's terrible. So, and again, this is an optional. You don't have to do it. You're still going to end up with beer. But uh, taking your gravity reading uh, at the beginning, uh, before you pitch your yeast, and once it's done, you're going to be able to compare those numbers, and it's going to tell you the uh, the alcohol that's in your beer. Mm -hmm. So, um, It's definitely one of the habits that you want to get into from first batch. Everything matters is the habits that you get into. What Jim was mentioning earlier was you really want to dial in your processes. You want to get into the habit of doing certain things a certain way, if nothing else, to be able to replicate what you're doing. You, right. you, nail, you nail that one batch the first time and you want to do it again. 
And it's and you got to be able to replicate it. Yeah. You got to know what you did that way. So now here's something that I I actually had someone ask me one time. Do you taste your work? You know before you before you pitch these. And I'm like absolutely. And that's something you know that Jim just talking about that. Why would somebody want to taste it at this stage? And kind of what should they expect out of it at this stage? Yeah. Well, you know, I here's the way I do things. I take a lot of notes when I brew, and uh, that doesn't pe- surprise me. Just sitting here with you, and <laughs> the notes taken here, well, I, I could see yeah, that. Yeah. Different people are different, but I want to be able to. I want to be able to replicate things. Is sure. what you're talking about, and I want to know exactly what I did. And so, I, yeah, I definitely I take a hydrometer reading and I taste the word out of the hydrometer. Keep in mind at that point is cool. You don't really want to pour it back in after you've pulled it off. So it's going to be wasted anyway. And one of the things that's really fun for me is to try to think through and think, okay, this tastes this way now. How's it going to taste after it ferments? How's it going to taste after it's carbonated? So there are three different stages. So I make notes at every stage. And um, I think over time I've gotten a lot better at predicting out of this, you know, this particular word, how are things going to taste at the end? I can almost think through it and predict it. And that's a lot of fun to me. That was a tough one for me at first. And, uh, if you if this is your first batch and you taste your wort and you think you're going to taste beer, you, you're going to be really disappointed. Oh, a lot of sugar what you water taste is what it tastes yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. So be probably be kind of bitter, hoppy sugar water. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's something as you do it more and you taste it before you pitch the yeast. Exactly. You, you taste it after you ferment and then you taste the finished project product, a different taste at each stage, and you'll kind of learn what it should taste like. Yes. At the each stage of it. So, exactly right. So okay, so guys, we've. We've measured gravity. Yep. We've uh, we've done that. We've tasted it. It's in the carboy, and we're we're ready to get this sucker going. Mm-hmm. So at this stage, what's uh, what do we do next? You know, for me, it's very simple, and others might have may have a different view of this. But um, pitch the yeast, and you know that's uh, that's one of these terms people use. Pitch it just means add the yeast, or put it in there, add right? the yeah. yeast, yeah. liquidy <clears throat> liquid yeast, or uh, your dry yeast. And then uh, my rule is, it's very simple. You let it sit for two weeks. There you go. Uh, Can you let it sit for a week? Sure. Can you let it sit for three weeks? Sure. But two weeks is going to get you there or not, right? I mean, but it's either going to, it's going to be done after two weeks. And so at a beginning level, I don't see any reason to complicate it more than just let it sit for two weeks. Hard to be that patient, but I think that's the best rule. Especially with the first batch. Yeah. That's, you know. I always ran downstairs and I'm like, is it bubbling? Is it bubbling? Yeah. Can we go? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's always exciting. But so, uh, but and I do the same, I have the same rule of thumb about two weeks. You know, it's once you get a couple beers in the pipeline, it's a little easier to discipline yourself to do that so you know you got two weeks and now we're back to testing our gravity again mm-hmm. so we're gonna and that's uh w- with that nate uh kind of what's the purpose in testing gravity at this point what are we looking for so the gravity reading that you take when you first pitch the yeast that's called the original gravity the gravity that you take when the fermentation is completely done is called the final gravity mm-hmm. there are formulas or you can just find charts of the different ways that you compare the original gravity to the final gravity to get the alcohol content. Um, Without getting too much into it, it's more or less a basic uh, subtraction. There are charts that are fantastic and make it very easy to use. But also the final gravity represents your residual sugars. How sweet is it going to be? We had Jim's beer earlier that was very dry. It probably had residual sugars of... 1.005, 1.005, call it. It's about right. Um, yeah. The mead that we're drinking right now is my sweet sizer. It had a final gravity of 1.028. So Big difference. You, you've yeah. got it all across the board. 
So you'll just get used to seeing these numbers, being able to work with them. And some breweries and bars put the gravity numbers on their menus. Uh You go to Wrecking Bar, and they have their final gravity or original gravity right there. The catering to the beer geeks. Exactly. So That's they, definitely, they like right. to know this definitely kind of beer stuff, geek, so. geek information. But uh, yeah, and a, and another thing with that is a lot when you do your batch and you know your your beginning, your original gravity, and you know the yeast you're using. A lot of times they can tell you what your target final gravity is going to be there. So that's also going to help you make sure that the processes went correctly. You should be within a couple numbers of that target final gravity. So mm-hmm. if you're supposed to finish at a ten oh five, one point oh oh five. And you're still at a 10:15. You're going to know something's not quite right, and at that point, would probably want to let it ride a little longer to see if it drops some more to make sure that you have reached that final gravity. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. So once that's there, you go ahead and uh, what's the next step on that one? Um, once you've got the fermentation's done, we're ready to go. Next step is going to be bottling. Correct? We're trying to get this in bottles. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh. uh Jim, bottling day. You know, I just realized as we get into this, this is insanely long for a. It is going to be long for beginning home brewing. So, so we, we probably uh, yeah. got really in depth. So if you listen to this, it's it's going to give you all the info you need. It probably went more in depth than than we should for total beginners. But it's but still shorter than going to a homebrew class at Hop City. There, there you go. So we can get it in. That. So, That's actually so true. That. So there you go. That's so it. guys, I tell you what, we'll do bottling day kind of quickly, kind of okay. run through the Cliff's notes of this. Uh, we're going to put an outline on the website. Yep. So check it out there. We're going to put a post up to kind of be a companion to this episode to get you started there. Exactly. So, so guys, we've got beer. Now that the fer- the fermentation is complete, this is officially beer. Yep. So we want to get it in bottles so we can drink it. Uh, what do we do? What's the, the, the Cliff Notes version of what we do yeah. to get this in So here's the, here's the Cliff Notes version. The first thing is you want it both in a bottle and you want it to be carbonated. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's what beer is, right? It's going to have carbonation in it. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to add some sugar. It's a very simple type of sugar, uh, corn sugar, to your beer. And why are you going to do that? You're going to do that because once you get it in the bottle – there actually is still yeast in your beer. It's going to eat that sugar. When it does that, it's going to produce carbon dioxide. That's going to go into the headspace of the bottle, and then you're going to chill the bottle down. And when you do that, it's going to force the carbon dioxide into the bottle. It's going to carbonate it. So to get it in the bottle, what you're going to do is you're going to get a bottling bucket, which has a spigot on it. You're going to get a bottling wand. You're going to attach to the bottling bucket. That has a little nib at the end of it that when you press down at the base of the bottle, it lets uh, the wort out. And when you quit pressing down, it stops the flow. You're going to fill the bottle up by using that device. The great thing is, as Archimedes told us, that that device itself in the bottle displaces some of the uh, volume of the bottle. So when you pull it out, it actually leaves some headspace in the bottle. And then you're going to put a cap on the bottle. Once you do that, and you've added corn sugar to this mixture beforehand, and you've stirred it around very gently because you don't want to oxygenate the word at this stage, Um, You're going to leave that bottle out for a couple of weeks because um, it's going to need to eat the sugar and carbonate. You do that at room temperature. A mistake a lot of people often make is they take that immediately and put it in the refrigerator. Well, the yeast doesn't work at that temperature. Sorry. You know, so you, you actually leave that out at room temperature. 
uh, week, two weeks, don't be in a big hurry. Then you put it in the refrigerator, and then it'll carbonate itself over the next three three or four days, a week, if you want to be completely safe. And, your and fir- you, you know, your first batch, everybody wants to try that first. They're all yeah. anxious. So it's going to take you more than a little a week, but we know how you are. <laughs> So after we go ahead and throw you one in the fridge and give it a shot. Exactly. Yeah. So. But also I want to be remiss if I didn't say that we have to sanitize everything. So you're sanitizing you the bottles, yes. the caps, the spigots. Sanitize and clean everything yep. on Absolutely. that Absolutely. Every too. single thing that the beer touches after the boil needs right. to be sanitized, and that includes your hands. It does. That's also true. Exactly. And, and that all being said, um, there are all a lot of us, I think, who failed to do that on one thing or the other, including the stirring spoon where you stir in the sugar in, and yeah. the world did not come to an end. So it's not automatic that yeah. you've infected something because I've seen people throw beer away when they shouldn't have because they think, oh, I've screwed this up. It's all for naught. And yeah. so I'm going to dump the whole batch. Yeah. Not true. I think your first batch, you said you dropped your thermometer or something. I did. I had the, I had like, the oh. thermometer and it wasn't sanitized and I dropped it in there by accident yeah. and I grabbed it and pulled it out and yep. it's freaking out. And I asked him, I was like, and I infected. He was like, eh, just try and see if it's okay. Yeah. All with it, it's, man. It worked. Yeah. It's probably it okay. There you go. Mistakes are part of brewing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so, so yeah. So, um, so once it's carved, get a couple of weeks. Um, and you've got beer. You got beer. This That's is awesome. It. There you go. We, we, and that we. means that you have equipment free to try your next beer. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So, so that's the that's the crash course. You know, mm-hmm. we we covered it pretty in depth there, uh, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for sharing your your homebrew beers and meads for talking homebrewing with us and. You know, we hope this is helpful to, yeah. to those out there that have thought about doing it. Yeah, BeerGuysRadio.com. We're going to go ahead and post this alongside an accompaniment with the notes that we've taken here. And uh, that will kind of hopefully give you a, a little bit of an outline of what to do. And, of course, uh, we'll give you some more references through the through the weeks and months. We're going to continue this homebrewing uh, seminar or so homebrewing extra over the right. next uh, few weeks and months. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it. So uh, thanks again for listening to this podcast extra. Thanks and for having us. Thank no, you. it's good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely. And like you said, just relax and have a homebrew. Relax. Don't worry. That's have right. a homebrew. All right. Cheers, Cheers. guys. Cheers. Take care. The Beer Guys Radio Show on the Beer Guys Radio Network. BeerGuysRadio.com. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys, or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support, and cheers. Here on the Beer Guys Radio Show, we always encourage you to drink local. And of course, shop local at your favorite bottle shop. But sometimes you want something different. A beer you heard about online, or maybe you've got a bottle share to attend, but nothing special to bring, or you just want to check out something new. That's where Inside the Cellar comes in. They stock lots of craft beer from breweries that may not be available in your hometown. Shipping is almost free for every 12 you buy, and if you use our special promo code, you'll get 10% off of your order. Inside the Cellar also stocks wines and craft soda, too. 
and using inside the cellar helps us out. So head to BeerGuysRadio.com, click on the Sponsors link at the top of the page, and click the Inside the Cellar icon to shop, and enter our special promo code for 10% off, too. That's BeerGuysRadio.com, click the Sponsors link, and then go to Inside the Cellar. Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Dukes is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Dukes. It's got twang.